episode 12. Episode 12? Episode 12, Max, and we're here. We finally, it only took us about like a year and a half. Two fucking years. But we finally have a full dozen episodes of One Hit Wonders of the World. We have a repertoire of episodes. A real myriad, if you will. A real, um, real, uh... Avra. Avra. A, a real... Avra. Are you sure, Google? That seems like bullshit. Avra. That's, nah, nah, it's oof. I, I think, I, no, it's definitely Avra. I disagree. How you been, Max? Then it's so great to sit down and record another episode of this show with you. Oh, I'm hanging in there, buddy. How are you? I'm all right. You know, LA's LA's still doing its thing. LA will always be doing its thing. I completely LA's understand. LA's always just going to keep doing its thing, you know? I know. How's Chucktown? Chucktown's also always going to keep doing its thing. We're hanging in there. Today, we discuss Weezer's oh boy. biggest hit, Beverly Hills. So, Maxton, what's what's your history with Weezer? This. <laughs> this is really one of the only Weezer songs you know, right? <laughs> um, yes, this is absolutely the first one I knew. My, my mom, in the time period this came out, was a hardcore top 40 devotee. And I very clearly remember being nine or ten years old and carrying around a shitty little digital video camera that shot in like 64p and and i could make movies in windows movie maker and i absolutely put videos of me and my friends running around on the playground to beverly hills by weezer and exported it to no one for no reason in particular but you know that's what i was doing that's what i was doing as a nine-year-old that was my life uh, this song and so you were so nine-year-old maxton was a fan of beverly hills by weezer a nine-year-old maxton was absolutely into beverly hills and i, I don't know if he could tell you why he loved Beverly Hills other than that it was on a hit, one of the now that's what I call music compilations that were in constant rotation in the car but it, it, it was good it, it, there's something about it that stuck with me I thought it was funky thought it was a jam um, I think later on the next Weezer thing I would actually come in contact with would, would be my name is Jonas from okay from their from their debut record yes from via guitar hero right guitar, guitar hero, hero. Yes, yes that song absolutely. was on guitar hero absolutely so that that was that was my first time oh the beverly hills guys they have a a song that absolutely shreds apparently so that was I, that was me being like oh okay they have other stuff they have other slappers and uh Somewhere along the line, I've heard Say It Ain't So. Somewhere along the line, I've heard Island in the Sun. I heard Island in the Sun when I was like 14 or 15 and like they've got They've got other like, you know, quote unquote hits. Like there are quite a few Weezer songs that while not like ascending to the heights that we're going to be talking about today, have managed to seep their way into, uh, you know, public conscience. Yeah, it's, and they're, they're good songs for the most part. Beverly Hills was also my first exposure to Weezer. I remember hearing it for the first time when like Make Believe, the album it's from, came out back in like 2005. I remember the song coming out and it being my first, you know, taste of Weezer. I hadn't really heard of them before, but I liked it. I liked it. I, re- I have this distinct memory of being in like eighth grade and like one of the like cool kids 
in our in our class who like had a had a band at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember him like wearing a make believe T shirt. Oh, cool! Which like now in like the cold light of 2019, 2020, wearing a make believe Weezer T shirt not a very cool move. But at the time, he seemed he seemed pretty with it. He was the coolest one in class. He pretty much was, yeah. But like, uh, I would go on to develop a pretty strong relationship with the rest of Weezer's catalog, and I today I would call them one of my favorite bands. I feel that. I, I know that you're a big Weezer fan, and I I definitely have a, a casual interest in them. Like, actually, the the B-side to the song we're going to be talking about today, Perfect Situation, is kind of a kind of a sleeper fave of mine. Yeah, that was a, that's a good one. That was another single, too. Yeah, it was. I, I don't think it, it didn't do as well, but I remember the music video pretty clearly, and uh, also being pretty young when I was exposed to that. I was, I've been a casual Weezer listener for probably like 10 years or something now. I, that they've, they've been on my radar, though I know pretty much... Oh, in this decade, they've fallen off a bit, but we'll save that for we'll save that for later, won't we? We'll talk about the fall off. We definitely. will, because there are some people who will tell you that like this was the beginning of the fall off, and like other people will tell you it's other parts of the careers. Weezer fans have opinions. They like to fight. A lot of people have opinions about Weezer. Like I'm sure you have at least heard of that Saturday Night Live sketch that features like Matt Damon and like one of the cast members like really arguing about like when Weezer started being bad or if they did at all. No, I did not see the Saturday Night Live sketch. I live in a bubble. I did not see this. It's it's really interesting. So you're a Weezer fan? Baby, please, it's Christmas. Oh no, no, I'm just asking him a question. Sounds like you're into the new stuff. Damn straight. I mean, I think they're doing some cool things right now. <laughs> Baby, be cool. <laughs> I'm just getting to know the neighbors. I'm just a little confused because Real Weezer fans know that they haven't had a good album since Pinkerton in 96. Oh, uh oh, looks like we have a purist in the house. All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna have fun with this. What's happening right now? You know, Weezer, unlike some of the other bands we've talked about who really have only just like one song, Weezer has like a pretty rich history. They have many, many songs. They have like 10 albums by this point, I think. Six self titled albums? There's blue, green, <laughs> red, white, and the recent oh, and teal. Yeah, and the recently released black album. Black. I, I played a song from the black album for you. I believe your official take was this is repulsive and I never want to hear it again. Yep. That was that was your review yep. of uh, Can't Knock the Hustle from the Black Album. That shit is hilarious. I enjoyed getting your take on that so much. I, what I thought would be fun for this episode would be for me to play you songs th- from throughout Weezer's history and just, you know, see what you think of them. Just get your takes on Weezer. Because like I said, they're a band with a very long career that I think it would behoove us to talk about as like a complete picture. I'm pretty interested. Let's do it. I'll uh, I'll, I'll see which ones I recognize. I'm hoping to get at least half. And to kind of like make this new one-off format for this show work, I actually, when composing the notes for this one, came up with a whole new segment. You know, we're still going to be talking about what went right and what went wrong, what came next. But first... I wanted to begin with what came first. Oh boy! So going back to the going back to the basics, the roots. Uh, Weezer was formed in Santa Monica, California, in 1992 by four guys: vocalist and lead guitarist Rivers Cuomo, drummer Patrick Wilson, bassist Matt Sharp, and guitarist Jason Cropper. I actually recently learned that uh, Weezer formed 
in an apartment that is like right now 10 minutes away from where I currently live. <laughs> oh, in Santa Monica? Yep. Wow. In 1993, they signed to Geffen Records and recorded their self-titled debut album, which quickly became referred to as uh, the Blue Album. Uh, while recording that one, they fired Jason Cropper and replaced him with a new guitarist, Brian Bell. I think they actually re-recorded all of his guitar parts for the album too, like Rivers re-recorded them himself. But Patty. Jason Cropper is actually the one responsible for that, uh, for writing that opening part of My Name is Jonas. Like that really quick guitar Ah, part. the shredding part. Yep. And the Blue Album was pretty successful, buoyed by like a couple big singles like uh, Buddy Holly and the Sweater Song and Say It Ain't So. So I wanted to pause right now and play Buddy Holly for you. I'm sure you've heard this one. I have heard this one and I do want to mention, it seems like I, I, I'm just here skimming the Wikipedia page as we cover these notes as well. Their first gig was closing for Keanu Reeves' band Dogstar. Yes. So th- these guys know people. They, they sing about Beverly Hills being where they want to be, but it's where they've always been. Kind of. Not not totally, but let's take a listen to Buddy Holly. What's with these homies dissing my girl? So yeah, not a not a Billboard Hot 100 song, but I imagine that's familiar to like quite a few of our listeners. Max, you've heard that one before. That's a pretty popular song. I've I've definitely heard it before. I do think it's a little annoying. Really? I don't I don't know. I I like it. I would not playlist this one. I I don't know. It's. Have you seen the video? Because it had a quite a popular video directed by uh, Spike Jones. Oh God, I heard about the video. No, I haven't seen the video. What happens in it? They kind of he kind of like inserted them into a scene from Happy Days, like that old sitcom. Okay. He like dressed them up in like uh you know like like real dorks and they play Buddy Holly in the diner while the characters dance. Oh great, <laughs> it's pretty good. All right, that's pretty they had, funny. They, Weezer is like has always had like some pretty on point videos like from their early days working with Spike Jones through like a video from one of their albums, Maladroit, where they had like the whole cast of the Muppets join them for the performance. And we're going to be talking about the Beverly Hills video, which is also like a classic kind of. The Buddy Holly video was also featured famously, where many of you may know this, on the companion CD for the Windows 95 operating system. So yeah, backed by like some successful music videos and singles, the Blue Album went four times platinum. God, wow. Immediately or just like in the intervening years? Oh, I don't know. In the I know it was successful. I don't know if it immediately okay. went four times platinum, but I know it was a, a big one and people latched onto Weezer. Jeez. Um, after the supporting tour for the Blue Album, they took a two-year break, during which Rivers enrolled in a school called uh, Harvard University. Never heard of that. Where he began working on a follow-up to the Blue Album, Pinkerton, which would eventually be released in 1996. Never heard of that either. Unlike the Blue Album, though, Pinkerton was a commercial and critical flop and remains, like to this day, an infamously polarizing record due in no small part to its like brutally honest depictions of rivers as like a really weird dude with some questionable things going on in his head so like um why why would you do this to yourself 
why would you write songs like this like that make you look like a fucking creep like a real ass weirdo with some like some clear complexes going on okay and then like the thing that blows my mind here is that you are surrounded by like spike jones keanu reeves like all these like all these people that are around you and supporting you and your albums are going platinum and there's not a damn person there that will tell you that goddamn God damn you half Japanese, Japanese girls, girls is not a good way to start a song. No one's gonna. Are you just have you completely insulated yourself with yes men? They do, do it to them every time, time, though. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wanted to talk about the Japanese thing because the song I'm going to be playing from Pinkerton is one of the most infamous in their catalog. It's called Across the Sea. And I'll give it a little background. Apparently, while he was at Harvard, uh, Rivers went through some pretty deep depression. And at one point, he got uh, a piece of fan mail from like an 18-year-old girl in Japan who just wrote him saying, hey, I heard you on the radio, and I loved it, and I want to know more about you. And he like really clung on to this letter and kind of became obsessed with it to the point of uh. writing a really controversial song about it. So let's take a listen to that real quick. Oh, boy. I think we should probably listen to the second verse of this one too, because that's where it gets a really intense. Jeez. So yeah, th- things got pretty real on Pinkerton. Uh, we didn't even get to the part that says, at 10, I shaved my head and tried to be a monk, but we'll just let that sleeping horse lie. <laughs> That's a really weird part that I've never really understood. I like Pinkerton, though. I think it's a really great album. There's nothing really else like it. I like the album cover a lot. I've never listened to the whole thing. Uh, I just... I just I'm just kind of I'm operating off of the popular assumption that it is mildly problematic and skippable and so I just haven't bothered I just haven't really I haven't felt compelled by anything that I've heard it is mildly problematic I will say that I think time has kind of blown up its problematicness into being somewhat of a meme. Sure. There's really not as much of that on the album as people will like act like there is. But I do disagree with it being a skip. It is kind of like 
It and the Blue Album are really the two essential Weezer records. And what's most interesting about them is the way they paint two different portraits of Rivers. Like, I think um, friend of the show uh, and former guest Dylan Flynn said that, like, the Blue Album is like seeing Rivers as this, like, super well put together young man who has like who's like really smart and like really with it and like is like pretty like sensitive to like you know issues and stuff right whereas like pinkerton is like you seeing that same guy after he's been going through like a really bad breakup and like he's on like his 10th day without showering and he's just like you bump into him in like the frozen food section of the grocery store just buying like hot pockets and he's wearing like sweatpants with like cum stains all over him. Uh, oh interesting so yeah like i said unlike the blue album Pinkerton was a flop. After it bombed, Rivers withdrew from society, settling into a one-room apartment beneath a Los Angeles freeway, where he painted his room's walls and ceiling black, and on the windows he layered uh, black bed sheets over thick fiberglass insulation. For months on end, he would hide in his unlit bedroom, depressed, never going outside or speaking to another human being. So he clearly took the failure of Pinkerton pretty hard. River, and I can see why. You know, he like he came out and he was like. Here's me, like, with no filters, just this is what I am like on the inside. And everyone was like, dude, we don't want this. Yeah, why? Why would you do that, dude? Come on, man. I don't know why you would. I can see, I can see being like a songwriter like Rivers and being like, hey, people formed a really close personal bond with our first album. They felt like it was speaking to them in ways other bands really haven't before. And that was due to a lot of like, the like um like the really intimate lyrics that he put into it like he talks about being like a young nerd who like likes hanging out in the garage and like playing D and stuff like that and he's not like a typical rock star you know and i think he thought people would similarly respond to like him giving you this like really intimate portrayal of his dark side you know I, I, yeah I, i'm sure he thought it was daring while he was making it and like exciting and, and kind of isn't it i think it is i mean i i can totally recognize all the problematic elements of pinkerton but i also mm-hmm. think it's like you know like a one-of-a-kind record i've never heard anything else like it i'll have to give it a spin someday it won't be today though anyway we're back in river's black apartment i'm sure it's hot as fuck in here you're in los angeles there are heat waves dude Get, get your feng shui changed up. Put some pink in there. Marie Kondo that, like, all that darkness, okay? It's a new day, Rivers. Form your band again. Eventually, he did do that. He he emerged from his depression, and he sought help via psychotherapy and the uh, Vipassana meditation, nice. which he still adheres to today. There's a lot of articles where he talks about this, uh, including details where he talks about going celibate for three years. Wow. And, like, only deciding to like get married because he wanted to break his celibacy because apparently it was really rough for him oh he's a he's a horny boy rivers cuomo people he went to harvard with like um have like stories about him being in like their writing classes and just like doing essays about how like horribly horny he was while like on tour for the blue album i don't like him i don't like i don't don't (laughs) like him do you like him i i I know you like his music i do like rivers como i think he's a really weird guy and i think he's for the most part pretty harmless and i think it's important to remember that all of this stuff was 20 years ago no i just don't i i i just Uh, Yeah, I guess I'm sure he's changed and matured in ways that we can't quantify. I mean, he's got some he's got some he's got some creepy lyrics from old albums. But like, if you look at like some of his peers, like, I don't know, like Ryan Adams, like Uh. there are people doing like much worse stuff than Rivers Cuomo. He's like 
by comparison, pretty tame. People just like to make like his problematic. Like he's almost like a. It's almost become a meme. Like I said earlier. Yeah, thankfully, he's never like done anything. He's just he's no. just been he's just been my, like a, a, a just a bit of a creep. So he got into meditation, got out of his depression. He reunited Weezer with the exception of Matt Sharp, who was replaced by new bassist Scott Schreiner. A lot of people will tell you that. Suck it, Matt Sharp. A lot of people will tell you that when Matt Sharp left is when Weezer like that's when the magic disappeared. But I disagree. Mm. I disagree. So was how, did Matt Sharp have writing credits? What was Matt Sharp out here doing? Did he? Or is that just a marker for people? He was the bass player, and like a, he also did backing vocals. And a lot of people really like the interplay that he and Rivers had when doing backing vocals together. And I get it because there was a certain magic there, but I don't think it was totally responsible for what makes Weezer great. Sure. But with their new lineup, they began recording new material, uh, beginning with a second self-titled record, the Green Album, in 2000. So I wanted to play a song from that this record is kind of like uh, notorious for being very safe and like basic like it's clear that after going all the way out there with Pinkerton Rivers was like okay so people don't want that let me make like an album that has catchy hooks and like fun guitar parts but is kind of about nothing so here's one of their biggest hits to this day Island in the Sun from the Green Album Silent in the Sun. Personally, I've never been a huge fan of the Green Album myself. Like, I think it's kind of boring, but some people like it. That's the only song I've ever heard from it. And I think it's fine. Yeah. I think I would think if it's annoying if I didn't have childhood associations with it, because it gets it, it gives me Buddy Holly vibes. I mean, the <laughs> is a pretty is a pretty weak hook. Sure. I did want to mention that it was interesting that uh, the only Weezer only reunited in April 2000 when the Fuji Rock Festival made them a lucrative offer to play that August. Hmm. Interesting. Shouts out to shouts out to Weezer out here doing it for the coins. That's really <laughs> what it's about. It's always been about the coins, about paying the rent. After that, they put out Maladroit in 2002, which is like nobody's favorite Weezer record. I frequently forget that this one even exists, even though it does have some pretty good songs. <laughs> the first sentence of the Wikipedia for this says. The band took an experimental approach for the recording process of its fourth album by allowing fans to download in-progress mixes of new songs from its official website in, ter- in return for feedback. After the release of the album, the band said that this process was something of a failure, as the fans did not supply the group with coherent, constructive advice. Cuomo er- eventually delegated song selection for the album to the band's original A&R rep, Todd Sullivan, saying that Weezer fans chose the quote-unquote wackest songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the songs on Maladroit are pretty good. Uh, but only the only the song Slob was included on the album due to general fan advice. Okay, okay. Um, so this one's Keep Fishing. This is the one that they had the Muppets in their music video for. It's pretty fun. 
that's keep fishing from Aldroid. Pretty okay. Serviceable. I, like, it, I mean, but it doesn't really ever ascend beyond a pretty okay. And that's the problem I feel like I have with a lot of Weezer's discography and why I feel like I will never sit down and listen to all of it ever. Just because I'm just like, there's so much I just don't care about. But that brings us to the song we're here to discuss today. Uh, Make Believe came out in 2005 and spawned a little single that everybody knows called Beverly Hills. Thanks to the efforts of one... Zen Master Rick Rubin. Yes. They got Rick Rubin to produce this album. Oh my God, Rick Rubin's here. A pretty big fan, Rick Rubin. Think it's safe to say. Is Rick Rubin a fan of Weezer, or am I a fan of Rick Rubin? Are you a fan of Rick Rubin? You seemed pretty excited to finally be able to discuss him on the show. I think that he he's like the. The, this like the wise wizard sage of popular music of like the past 30 years. Do you think your image of him as such has anything to do with the fact that the prevailing image of him from the last like decade probably has been like those what Jay-Z videos where he just has a gigantic beard and he's just lying on a couch like therapy style just telling him what he thinks of the music? Yes. <laughs> un- un- unquestionably yes. And also just he just he just pops up places he doesn't belong and I love him for it. Like I am not an Eminem fan, but I-, I believe he's in that 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 video for rap guy Berserk standing in the background with his arms crossed. That video for Berserk is something. I just love him, and I love seeing him anywhere, and he has fingerprints on so many classic pieces of important music, and I want to meet him one day. Doesn't uh, he own, like, a haunted mansion, too, that, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers recorded in once? Yeah, I think he still records there. That's in Laurel Canyon in, in Los Angeles, and he also uh, owns a piece of property in Malibu that has Bob Dylan's uh, touring van in the backyard. I thought you were going to say Bob Dylan's bones, but then I remembered Bob Dylan is still alive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. On his never-ending tour. But yeah, this song was produced by Rick Rubin, and it features uh, Stephanie Edel of Agent Sparks contributing those gimme gimme backing vocals during the hook, which I've never really been a big fan of. Yeah, they seem... that That's that's one of the more fillery elements of this song, in my opinion. That and those... I mean, those fucking drums. I hate those drums. Really? You don't like the drums? Like... We heard Queen do it 20 years ago, buddy. It was better then. I'm pretty sure that was like, uh, I'm pretty sure those come straight from Rick Rubin, though. He said, <laughs> apparently he told the band that they they needed to have a boom boom chop song. He said that quote? That's hilarious. I have four quotes from uh, each member of the band talking about Beverly Hills, and I thought you and I could kind of alternate going back and forth. So I'll start by reading what uh, Rivers said about the song. He said, I was at the opening of the New Hollywood Bowl, which would have been in like uh, 2004, I think. And I flipped through the program and I saw a picture of Wilson Phillips. And for some reason, I just thought how nice it would be to marry like an established celebrity and live in Beverly Hills and be part of that world. You clout chaser. And it was a totally sincere desire. Uh-huh. And then I wrote that song, Beverly Hills. For some reason, by the time it came out and the video came out, it got twisted around into something that seemed sarcastic. Originally, it wasn't meant to be sarcastic at all. Do you want to read what Patrick Wilson said? The drummer. Patrick Wilson, the drummer, continues. I think that happens a lot with Weezer songs. People think we're being funny, and then somehow it changes into something else. And I'd also like to say that Rick said, why don't you have a boom boom chop song? And that's how it turned into that. 
There you go. Wow. Wow. He has the answers. Thank you. Thank you, music sage Rick Rubin, for the worst drum line in history. I love Rick Rubin, but he is far from infallible. Matt Sharp replacement Scott Schreiner said, for me, two things I want to say about it. One is that I kept trying to think that it was supposed to be like a swing beat with kind of like a lot of upbeats. But as much as I kept trying to make that happen, it just never worked. And it wound up being totally, totally straighter than straight, which I think wound up being the best thing for the song, all said and done. And then the next thing was, is that when I heard all the different mixes, because we had like four different people mix it, it just sounded good. And I kind of dug one version of it. But then I heard the mix that Rich Costi did. Somehow he put the kind of magic on that song. And I was kind of expecting to get out of it. Brian Bell continues. When I first heard the song, it was a Rivers demo of it. I think I called him and said, congratulations, you wrote a hit song. To me, it was like, whatever hit song means, that's what it evoked for me. There was a reality haircutting show called Blow Out or Blow Up or something like that about the salon in Beverly Hills, and I was trying to sell Rivers on letting that be the show's theme song, but luckily we never did that. Blow Out? Blow Up? What is that? What is that? I don't, I don't know. Something about, something about hairstylists in Beverly Hills. I'm sure it was on TNT. But when you heard this song, going back to what Rivers Cuomo said about whether it's supposed to be serious or sarcastic, what did you think of it? Do you remember what your first impression was? Like, can like, do you remember thinking it was genuine or do you think it was supposed to be kind of like taking the air out of Beverly Hills a bit? I feel like when I was young, I was very, I was very hung up on the first few lines where he talks about like his, how his automobile is a piece of crap and his fashion sense is a little whack. And, and, and then my favorite lyric, uh, my friends are just as screwy as me because Hey rivers, I sincerely doubt it. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're lying there. I think you're trying to think you're trying to project buddy. Um, (laughs) but I don't know if I was really able to coherently process sarcasm and emotion uh, when I was eight or nine, but I, I really do remember at some point feeling like it was a done deal whenever I heard the bridge where he goes, The truth is, I don't stand a chance. It's something that you're born into, and I just don't belong. I'm like, oh, that was from the heart. And I felt like I could relate to it. I was like, yeah, sometimes you just lose. I actually think that played a pretty big role in helping this song blow up to the point where it did, where like a lot of people clearly heard this and like either like saw themselves in it or related to it somehow. You know, I think everybody like l- looks at a better version of life at some point and like wishes for it, but at the same time realizes like maybe I'm where I'm supposed to be for a reason. Yeah, and I it's it's absolutely the best part of the song. Weezer are the perfect band to give us that message too, I think. Because from day one, they were kind of like the underdogs and like the dorks, yeah. you know, singing songs about like Buddy Holly and stuff. Something about Rivers Cuomo that's important to understand, I think, is that he loves rock stars. Like on the Blue Album, he talks a lot about like listening to Kiss and he's a big Van Halen fan, but he's never really wanted to be a rock star. Until... Maybe until now. Who this knows? This is a song that is begging for arenas. But at the same time, he's not like that typical rock star. You know, he's not like a really good looking dude who like has tons of groupies. Well, maybe he does have tons of groupies considering how horny yeah. he is. But like he's not the typical rock star. He's like a dude who like you would see like in a corner of a dance with like his nerdy glasses on. The W's for weirdo. Yep. The W's for weirdo. Um. I wanted to mention 
Although some reviews, such as AMG's, compared it favorably to Pinkerton, others, among them Pitchfork scores, 0.4 out of 10, panned the album as predictable and lyrically poor. And I think that's what most people think about this record. Isn't that right? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later when we talk about like where Weezer is today. But like make-believe is, ask any Weezer fan, they'll probably put it in their, like, their bottom 50% of Weezer's catalog. People don't really like this record. People don't really like this song. The cover's bad too. Yeah, the cover's not great. The cover is it's it's a weird cover because it's like the you can't really tell, but the background art that they're standing in front of is by Carson Ellis, who's like a really cool like indie artist. She's actually married to Colin Malloy. Oh wow. Colin Malloy from the Decemberists. There's something like, I don't know, weird about the presentation, just putting the band in front of it that kind of obscures it. And I just don't think it really works as a cover. It it, it didn't work. I mean, I get what they were trying to do. Uh, like it's also kind of unique in their catalog too, because like all of the other, uh, albums that there are several albums covers that feature the band, just kind of standing in a line one after the other. But all of those are self-titled albums that have different colors associated with them. But this is just like make-believe. This one's an outlier. And then after this, they went back to doing the another self-titled album in front of a... Their next one would be the Red Album. We'll talk about that in a bit. But for now, let's talk about the music video for Beverly Hills. Because I think this played a pretty big part in the song's success. This was another like kind of like a classic Weezer video that saw them doing something kind of extra. Let's hear it. Yeah. And that something extra was performing the song live at the Playboy Mansion. Oh, God. I've never seen this video. You've never seen this video? Really? I remember it being pretty big on like MTV2 and like Fuse and stuff around the same time as like that that was when I was like watching those channels and seeing stuff like Feel Getting by Gorillas, like we talked about. Oh, yeah. It was around the same time period. If I saw it, I'm not able to immediately conjure. Oh, I feel like I maybe have seen some screenshots where people are jumping in pools and there's a lot of bright colors and Hugh, Hef- Hugh Hefner is there like smoking a cigar or something. He's got a pretty big cameo at the beginning of the video. He like uh, has one of his uh, models bring him a gold phone <laughs> on which he calls the drummer Patrick Wilson, who is like they cut to him showing in like a bathrobe and like smoking a pipe. Who, Patrick Wilson? Patrick Wilson, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to ask him if he could get the band together and come play their new record for the girls. And Pat asks if they can bring some friends along, and Hefner replies, that's fine. Just don't bring too many dudes. Is this empowerment? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so. But the band does show up at the mansion to play the song with a large group of people, all of whom are played by real Weezer fans. Hey, that's that's a... That's a good way to get free extras pretty quick. Yeah, they were recruited via the internet, and apparently they weren't told that the shoot would be at the Playboy Mansion until they had been like brought to the, lo- the location from a parking garage via Great some buses. Great idea. Yeah. Great idea. It was directed by uh, Marco Siega and filmed on location at the Playboy Mansion, of course, which is actually not located in Beverly Hills, but in the neighboring community of Homeby Hills. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, we, we don't all live in L.A., okay? <laughs> Jeez, this guy... And there's like a uh, there's a post that I was able to find from the band's old website uh, where they talk about the music video shoot saying today was a long day of work on the Beverly Hills video over at the Playboy Mansion where the very odd mixture of real Weezer fans Weezer and Playboy Playmates resulted in a weird hilarious and oddly unified experience 
The whole production crew kicked major ass as well, as did the playmates and a certain swinging patriarch who lent a hand in the proceedings. The juxtaposition of playmates prancing poolside and Weezer fans schlumping around in the mansion's arcade is meant to show the meaning of Beverly Hills, which is basically about the sense of alienation that many people get when they feel like they don't belong. The song speculates about living the life of movers and shakers, but concludes that there's no way to cross over from the real world to the fantasy world. But for a few minutes, the idea is tossed about, taken to the level of longing for a life of extreme celebrity. I think that's a pretty good, you know, way to talk about the song. That's pretty cool. I, um, I don't know why, but the only thing this is making me think of is this is probably what that one young thug music video would have looked like if he had showed up for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, if you, in case you don't know, uh, Young Thug, a.k.a. Jeffrey, a.k.a. Sex, once put out a video for a song uh, called Wyclef Jean, and he did not show up to the music video shoot, so the music video directors just made all the B-roll, the music video, and it kind of just, it, it it's not exactly the same, but I'm getting similar vibes here. Do you think we, we could ever get a Young Thug Weezer collab? I'm actually going to say uh, 80% yes. I'm going to say 80% yes because Weezer would absolutely be the Weezer would absolutely be the type of people to ask Young Thug to try to do something on one of their tracks, and Young Thug would probably be the type to take it. Lil Wayne shows up on the Red album. See, that's what I'm saying. Like you could, like I, it, it, Weezer has sorry. Record Lil Wayne shows up points. on Ratitude. Oh, that's right. God, Ratitude. Let's let's keep going. We have a long way to go. We do, we do. But after uh, its release on March 29th of 2005, Beverly Hills quickly became Weezer's most commercially successful single. It was uh, certified gold on June 6th, and it topped the Billboard Modern Rock chart for a week. Uh, and even spent months near the top of the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number 10, hence why ding, we're talking about ding, it today. Ding, 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 There you go, Rivers, he made it. But... They had actually landed on the Hot 111 years earlier when the Sweater Song, a single from their first album, charted in 94, but only reached number 57. Hence why we're not talking about that one, and hence nope. why Weezer are not a two-hit wonder. Won't nope. be their last time showing up on the Hot 100, we'll talk about that later. They also made uh, the top 10 on the UK singles chart, peaking at number nine, and uh, remaining on that chart for five weeks, but who cares about stuff in the UK? Right? Who cares about the UK? Just kidding. Love you, Brit friends. Beverly Hills was nominated for Best Rock Song at the 48th Annual Grammy Awards, the first ever Grammy nomination for the band, but they unfortunately lost to Vertigo by U2. Have you heard that one? Hello, hello. What, ah. what song do you like better, Vertigo or Beverly Hills? <laughs> I... I like Vertigo and Beverly Hills played on top of each other, just in a loop forever. That's, that's might, my favorite. I might, I might give the edge to Vertigo. I think that's kind of a late period YouTube jam. Um, I'm also gonna give the edge to Vertigo because I only actually like this song so much. Like, I don't listen to the song. I can listen to other Weezer songs. I don't think I would ever go out of my way to listen to this. Before we, before we decided to do an episode about it, I probably hadn't listened to it in years. Yeah, me either. Yeah, me either. The music video we talked about was nominated for Best Rock Video at the 2005 MTV Video Music Awards, which uh, they didn't win. Reach for the moon and you'll land among the stars or something. But they did win College Song of the Year at the 54th Annual Broadcast Music Incorporated Pop Awards, which I've never heard of before. See, that's what I'm saying. That's That's what I'm saying. Among the stars. Mm -hmm. That's all he wanted, right? Which takes (laughs) us to 
what went wrong, which I think is kind of a difficult question to ask when it comes to Weezer because you'll hear different things from different people. All right. But I I wanted your take on this, Max. What what do you think, quotes, went wrong with Weezer after the success of Beverly Hills? So I think that Weezer is just a band that wants to continue being a band at all costs do you feel me (laughs) like like they had that original bassist who like left and got immediately replaced like cut off an arm of the beast and one will grow back and then he like sued the band because he didn't get songwriting credits so like it's it's about coins for them and it's about what can they do that is going to cross over one way or the other and and they they're they're just focused on surviving and i can respect that because it's it's i i don't know there are people who can look at something like music and respect it as an art but also know how to turn it into a full career and i think rivers has successfully done that i mean it's hard to be uh like an indie musician like they were like i mean it's gone four times platinum but I, i i really don't know I mean, I guess if he had Harvard money, he wasn't like struggling, but like it, I I, I don't know. It it seems that Weezer is just out here trying to, trying to please people one way or the other. There are, there are people pleasing It's interesting you say that because I, I feel like, like every album from Weezer since like the Green Album has just been like, I, I imagine whenever Rivers finishes an album, he listens to it. And maybe he doesn't really love it either, mm-hmm. but he kind of just scratches his head and goes like, I guess this is what people want. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes he hits the nail on the head. Right. I feel like other times he doesn't. And I feel like it's like, it's like ever since Pinkerton flopped, he like saw that and he was like, whoa, people don't want me to be personal. Let me write a safe album about nothing here's the green album and people were like uh it's kind of too like it's kind of too like 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 clean and like poppy and boring he's like okay uh let's bring the distortion and stuff back for um maladroit i guess that's what the fans want and they were like uh we don't really like this either but then you know weezer fans only pick the wackest songs yeah and so then he like put out like beverly hills thinking people wanted more pop i guess but then but then he got a lot of money and he and then he did get a lot of money yeah like yeah the thing is what went wrong is relative to how you feel about weezer you know what i like i think that's you could you could if you got in on the ground floor and you never liked any of it you that's where it went wrong for you but if you if you started with beverly hills and then went to the red album and then ratitude and and hurley and just were like yeah this is my fucking band nothing went wrong like to be fair nobody heard ratitude and said yeah this is my fucking band (laughs) no this is this is my favorite band with the jumping dog on the cover i would probably say like for those fans who got into the band for Beverly Hills, Ratitude is where they would say things went wrong. Okay, but, yeah, know, exa- then exactly. Are, then there are people who probably got into them via like, uh, like uh, you know, like the Blue Album, like I said, and they would have told you that Pinkerton was where they went wrong. Or people got into them in Pinkerton and they would have said Green Album is where they went wrong. It's really just comes down to your, your opinions. They ha- it, it comes down to that. It just seems like they've had kind of a stop-start career in a way. And it seems like their entire existence as a band 
after the first after the 90s has just been trying to adjust to expectation for better or worse but usually worse and expectations are a weird thing because i feel like weezer are a band that are more subjected to people's expectations and thus like scrutiny than Mm -hmm. any other band i think i've ever listened to like what makes you say that i've never seen people get as upset about music as they get as upset as they get about weezer stuff like I, I guess because the like the people a lot of people will just like hold up the first blue album just put put it on a huge pedestal and be like this is like the you know this is the sound this is why did they ever do anything else they should have just broke up after this you and know? for some reason like even after make believe and ratitude they still go into every there are still people who go into every subsequent reason release expecting like this is the one where they'll come back you know this is going to be the return <laughs> to form and I've just seen people get their feelings hurt over and over again. Again, although there are some records where they intentionally did try to make a return to form, and I'll talk about those in a second. Yeah, uh, like that's what I mean. It's just a, it's just a kind of stop, start, adjust to expectation career, and I, I don't. I mean, I, I can't think of another major label band that has done that this much. So I mean, I guess I might be inclined to agree with you. Uh, let's talk about what came next because I oh, think there's the like some lot pretty came next. lot came next. I in a second, I want to talk to you about some developments in. River's songwriting process that I think will be really interesting to you because you sure. are a person who, you know, writes and records music. I but, write songs. Uh, taking it back to the immediate aftermath of uh, Make Believe, after the promotional cycle for that album, Rivers returned to Harvard to complete his degree in English in 2006. The Cursed Land. That year, he also married uh, a woman named Kyoko Ito, surprising very few people. <laughs> oh, are they still together? They are, yep. Oh, good for them. Okay, that's for that's that's a, that's a nice little healthy. Although he there. has given, he has done interviews where he talked about like expressly finding somebody to marry just so he could break his vow of celibacy. Which I don't know how I would feel uh, if I saw my partner uh, saying that kind of stuff in an interview. But hey, all, you, I, you know I, I hope they're very happy his, together. Like, it is like gut wrenching honesty. Yeah, yeah. I, I I relate to that to a fault, but I mean. I have a filter, my friend. Two years later, they released their next album, the self-titled Red Album, in 2008. That album was for a single, Pork and Beans, saw Weezer return to the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at 64, so, you know, not quite high enough for us to be talking about it. I like that song. He name drops Timbaland in that song. He does. I'm going to play a second. Let's listen to, like, the first verse of that right now.
pork and beans, which I think is a pretty pretty close to being a top tier Weezer single. I like. Oh, this one I a would lot. say I would put it in the top five. And I like that it feels like this isn't the first time he would do it, but this feels like a direct response to like all the Weezer detractors who like were like, oh, they went too pop with Beverly Hills and they sold out. You know, this is Rivers, Rivers saying like, hey, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna on do doing the what I want to do, do, and Weezer is gonna be what I want it to be. And like, I can appreciate that. I I appreciate, though it may make me uncomfortable and I may not agree with it. I appreciate his principle of honesty and. I want to mention some things about about the album. I'm reading on Wikipedia here. Pat Wilson said the album cost about a million dollars to make, contrasting it with the $150,000 budget of the Blue Album. Wasn't $200,000 what Creation Records spent on My Bloody Valentine's second album? Isn't that, and that almost like I bankrupt would, I them? I don't know the number off the top of my head. I, I do know that it was a lot of money, I, I, yeah. A million dollars for the but, Red you know, Album? you know, 200,000 in, in the early 90s versus a million in 2008. You know, you got to adjust for inflation, all that kind of stuff. I don't know enough about the economy to be talking about stuff like this. What I do know about is Weezer music. There's one more thing. On May 30th, 2008, the Toledo Free Press revealed in an interview with a with Scott Schreiner that Weezer would be unveiling the Hootenanny Tour in which fans would be invited to bring their own instruments to play along with the band. Said Schreiner, they can bring whatever they want, oboes, keyboards, drums, violins, and play the songs with us as opposed to us performing for them. Trevor, did that happen? I think it did, yeah. I believe that did happen. <laughs> Did they, how did, how was it organized? Was there sheet music? What what happened there? I wasn't a part of the Weezer fan community in 2008, unfortunately. So like, uh, I wouldn't really be able to tell you. But I feel like you could probably do a whole deep dive on just that tour. Like someone a whole do the podcast, do the Weez cast, okay? Somebody, please, you have my blessing. There are tons of Weezer. I'm sure there's more than one Weezer podcast out there already. I just didn't look. So yeah, Red Album. People liked Pork and Beans, and like there were a couple other songs on that album that people liked, but there were like just as many tracks where people weren't here for it. Famously, at one point on the song Everybody Get Dangerous, River said Booyah. Which is like still a joke to this day in the fandom. <laughs> That's embarrassing. So, Red Album wasn't quite seen as the return to form that they maybe wanted it to be next they would release an album called ratitude in 2009 2009 which got some really bad reviews lil wayne's on this one lil wayne's on this one there's a song called i'm your daddy there's a song <laughs> called the girl got hot oh no not a great record oh, i don't no. like this one i do like i do like the lead single and opening track uh parentheses if you're wondering if i want you to close parentheses i want you to so let's take a listen to that I 
next to me Then I said, girl So I think that one got like quite a bit of play on stations like K-Rock and stuff, but it wasn't like a hit by any means. Maxon, what did you think of that song? Um, I was into it whenever I was younger. I remember spending money to buy this on iTunes. Um, in the in the harsh daylight, I think it's a little creepy. <laughs> I think it is. Just, just a little like, hey, come on, these are my bedroom eyes! Like... I, I don't I don't know. Weezer, it, Does some Rivers of that probably stem boy. from the fact that like Rivers is like inhabiting, for all intents and purposes, like the character of like a teenage boy in this song? Nah, where, shut like the in real fuck life, up. he is he is not that. No, he is he is he is a teenage boy in real life. Let's set no, the but, but he's not. He's a full ass grown man. Who, well, he like, acts a, like a teenage boy, <laughs> and that's a lot of people's problem with uh, the we the Weezer. How, can you ask Google how to pronounce that word again? <laughs> no. The Weezer. That's a lot of people's problem with contemporary Weezer. They're like, yeah, Rivers never really developed as a songwriter. He's still writing songs as if he's a teenage boy, which is like kind of weird. And like, yeah, that definitely does feel weird when it happens. Checks out to me. That was a problem on Ratitude. I didn't (laughs) like that record for that reason. I also wasn't a big fan of the next album that came out, uh, Hurley, which was not only titled after the character from lost but also featured a very close a very zoomed in shot of his face as the album cover and now i think that this i think that this incredibly introduces uh this decade of the band perfectly because the theme of this decade of the band is doubling down on the joke not totally not totally you don't think so no not at all i think Okay. I think um, I think we'll get there, and I think yes, Hurley was like a joke, and I think Ratitude had a lot of jokes on it. Like you know, the cover was a dog jumping through the air. Um, <laughs> but the the lead single uh, from Hurley was a pretty pretty serious one uh, in terms of like that era of Weezer. It was mainly about like it almost felt like Rivers was trying to capture the nostalgia that people felt for the band and make a song about it. So let's listen to Memories. So yeah, that, I think this era kind of saw Weezer doubling down on nostalgia more than anything. I think they also, sure. like, around this time, they organized a big tour where they would specifically be playing the Blue Album or Pinkerton back-to-back for the main set. Interesting. So, but yeah, I never, I was never a big fan of Hurley. I don't really have any fond memories of it. I, um, I thought that song was okay, but it's just like... It's fine. 
the theme of it is definitely just like god we were we used to be so good right <laughs> like man remember how much we kicked ass 15 years ago maybe maybe based on that they decided to kind of really attempt to return to their roots because the next album that they would put out uh 2014's everything will be all right in the end led with what a lot of people interpreted as like an apology to their longtime fans for their like i don't know the last like 10 or so years of music <laughs> it was it was called back to the shack and it had like specific lyrics referencing about how like yeah maybe we haven't been great lately we've been doing this like something that weezer liked to do for a period was like have their band members like switch instruments live where like uh-huh. rivers would get like on bass or the drums and like pat would sing a song and there were like lyrics in this about like hey maybe i should stick to playing guitar and pat should play the drums so let's take a listen to uh back to the shack That disco sucks I ended up with nobody And I started feeling dumb Maybe I should play the lead guitar And Pat should play the drums Take me back, back to the shack Back to the strap with the lightning strap Kick in the door, more hardcore Rocking out like it's 94 Let's turn up the radio Turn off those stupid singing shows So yeah, clearly attempting to return to their roots. What'd you think about that one? Uh, I I was never a big fan either. Like this, I wasn't, they didn't win me back here. I was never a big fan of everything will be all right. I remember everyone talking about like, Weezer's back! This is, I don't know, man. I I thought that was pretty meddling. Yeah. And like, too, and almost cloyingly self-aware, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, 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 that, they're doubling down on that. I am a big fan of, like, uh, a band just beginning their new big comeback single with an apology to their fans, though. I think that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. What, what happened next, though? Next, they would release another self-titled album in 2016, The White Album. And, like, this is kind of a recent development for me, but... I think this might be the best Weezer album. What? It's really good. Oh, God. They worked with a producer, Jake Sinclair, who, like, fun detail, actually, like, performed in a Weezer cover band when he was, like, younger. So he he understands the group, you know? He <laughs> understands what makes them great. And, like, <laughs> apparently... That's so he, funny! Yeah. His, his express purpose for, like, producing this album was to recapture what made, like, the Blue Album and Pinkerton great. You and guys, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get back there. We're gonna, we're get, gonna back get back to the fucking shack, baby. Like, Ooh. apparently, he would even go so far as like uh, Rivers grew up in uh, Los Angeles, but I think he was originally from the East Coast, like from Long Island. And Long Island. Like uh, on those first two records, you could still hear his Long Island accent when he sang, and so he would specifically have Rivers sing with his Long Island accent. And, and and he would stop takes whenever he would start to slip out of it. Oh really interesting. Uh, so I wanted to play you a song uh, from that album, and then I'd like to talk a little bit more about River's current songwriting process, which sure. I don't know when it started, but I know it played a pretty integral part on this album. 
Here's one of my, maybe my favorite Weezer song, uh, Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory. out of goodwill for rivers cuomo Ooh, not a fan of that one huh i i the further i get into this the more that i'm just like i don't think that i can listen to a rivers cuomo composition that was made in like the last five or six years just because i i don't I don't know. I think I think the time in my life where I enjoy new Weezer songs has passed me, and any I, I just I don't feel like I like the music they're making anymore. I feel like any time anyone plays me a Weezer song that I didn't hear when I was younger, it I I don't care. I never. It's never made me be like, damn, I need to go back and get into Weezer. Like it's it's I've just been kind of indifferent and just kind of like i'm just i'm honestly just sitting here laughing at the track list for this record i'm sorry we we have we have just a few selections for the track titles here we have california kids thank god for girls open parentheses girl we gotta close parentheses good thing do you want to get high towelly voice king of the world la girls with a z i don't know man I just, to be fair, uh, a lot of those titles are very silly, but there's just, I, I swear, dude, there's something very special about this album. Like, particularly to me, like, I, I'll say that, like, I have a really personal attachment to this. Sure. It kinda, and this is something that very few people will understand but you. It kind of feels like Rivers, like, watched the first season of the TV show that I'm always writing, Doubles, and was like, I want to write an album that's specifically about that. And he... I feel you. I feel you why really you like this. <laughs> you really know it. You like it's this. this concept album about like moving to California and getting in a relationship and then getting out of the relationship and being really messed up by it. And I and like it just really, I don't know. He really brought the magic back for this one. But speaking of that, I want to talk about how Rivers like uh, wrote that song that we just heard because shortly after the release of the White Album, 2016. He appeared on another podcast called Song Exploder, which I know you and I are both kind of fans Love of. Love Song listened. Exploder. Yeah, and he dropped some really kind of head-spinning insight to what his songwriting process looks like now that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, Hit me. So first, first I wanted to talk about how he, uh, or first I wanted to play this clip of him talking about how he comes up with his chord progressions. So let's listen to that. My name is Rivers Cuomo. I play electric guitar and I sing. One of the first things I did was 
I looked in my Spotify playlist that is a collection of songs I've heard that have cool chord progressions. I'm going to go back and basically farm those songs for cool chord progressions. So I looked in there and there's a song called Walk Away Renee by The Left Bank. And then I kind of go back and, and replay it like Weezer style with, with my distorted guitar. So that's how he comes up with his chord progressions. He's got a big Spotify playlist of stuff that he likes the chords for. And what he'll do is he'll record himself playing those chords. And I didn't include this in the clip, but he'll like use an online like anagramizer to like plug in the original song title and come up with something else so whenever he <laughs> so whenever he looks at that like file on his computer he's not thinking of the original song oh my god that's the anagram thing is pretty smart i've actually yep. i've done something kind of similar with the with the chord thing ableton has a really cool feature where you can convert audio to midi and sometimes it's really fucky but if you put in something kind of simple and light it can usually get it over to midi format and i've made quite a few songs by just finding songs with chords that I like that I think this MIDI converter can eat pretty well and then arranging it differently whenever I get it as a MIDI file. So that's actually pretty cool. I think that's pretty interesting. I just wish the songs were better. I think your process is pretty fascinating too. Thank you. Let's talk about how like he writes his lyrics though because a big part of that are these spreadsheets that he keeps. Now, what is this? And then I open up this chord progression and this melody that I love, and I look over my spreadsheet of song title ideas. First of all, I have to find one that's roughly the right number of syllables and with the right accents on the right syllables. And I identify those ones, and then I just start singing them and seeing which ones have the right chemistry with the melody and the chord progression. So he has a whole big spreadsheet of like song titles that he comes up with. And whenever he like comes up with like a melody for a chorus or something like for Summer Lane and Drunk Dory, that like da 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 da, he like looks through all of his titles and he's like, what of which of these can I sing that will match that melody I've come up with? I don't understand why it's in a spreadsheet format. Well, I'll, I have some more. I have another clip of him talking about spreadsheets where he goes into it a little more. Let's listen to that. Oh, talking juicy. about how he puts together his lyrics. Okay, so I have another spreadsheet of lines, things I want to say, or things I've read in a book or heard on a TV show or a movie. A lot of it is taken right out of my journals. I do stream of consciousness in the morning for 25 minutes. I started in 2010 after reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's called Morning Pages, which is basically stream of consciousness. So yeah, that's been great. And then I come back at a later time, maybe the next day with a highlighter totally detached. I don't really care what I was talking about. I just look for really cool lines. I highlight those. Then they end up in the spreadsheet. But that doesn't mean they're going to end up in a song. It just means it's, I think it's a cool line and it gets in the spreadsheet. So then there's a couple thousand lines. Right now I have them all tagged by how many syllable each line has, if it's accented or unaccented to start, or the last two syllables also, is it strong, weak, or weak, strong, that sort of thing. Everything's tagged and searchable. 
So I knew I had this melody. Oh, she left me here. So one, two, three, four, five. Strong, weak, strong. So I, I can search for lyrics that have five syllables and start with an accent. So it really is like a weird little science that he's come up with. That's so fucking fascinating and cool. I why aren't the songs better? I I I don't understand. Some people would say they're not they're not better because they're these weird patchwork quilts of like just phrases that he came up with at certain times kind of like like okay, I know that I need six syllables here, so I'll grab this one, and I need five syllables here, so I'll grab That's this so one. That's so cool, though. I, I get how that might not be fun to listen to, but if you listen to like Summer Lane and Drunk Dory all the way through, that's a totally coherent song with like a story that you can follow along with, and like the the fact that it was made via this process kind of blows me away. That is crazy as fuck. And then I have another clip about where he talks, I have two more clips where he talks about how Weezer actually record their songs nowadays. Um, apparently, original, like for the first couple takes, they all go into the studio. I'll just, I'll just let them, I'll just let them tell it. I really appreciate the power of democracy. The songwriter, in this case me, with the best of intentions, can limit the creativity of the other members of the band because you're attached to your original demo or you had this vision for how you thought it was going to go. And in any case, you're just one brain and, and you just have this one limited perspective. But politically in the room, you have more power than everyone else. Even with the best of intentions, other people are going to think like, well, I guess he wrote the song. So if he doesn't like what I'm doing, then maybe I shouldn't do it. So it was very helpful for those guys to get time in the studio with our producer, Jake, Jake Sinclair without me to come up with their own parts. And I don't hear it until they're done with their parts. Then I get to listen back. And in most cases, I'm just blown away by how cool and fresh and layered and complex everything has become. So yeah, Rivers kind of goes into the studio with just the producer. They lay out the groundwork for the song. Then each of the other members comes in individually and lays down their stuff. All of the process behind this is fascinating and cool as fuck and kind of inspiring. But yeah, again, I just wish the songs were better. That's not the end of the process, though. There is a very end to it where they all go into the studio together. So let me play Rivers talking about that. It's all very carefully thought through. And what we have is a pretty great recording what it is lacking is that feeling of spontaneity and background chatter and just off-the-cuff ideas that you get when you have four guys jamming in a room. So we do at least a few takes where it's me, Scott, and Brian all standing around a mic or several mics, and we just do a couple passes through the song where, you know, you can do whatever you want. Crazy sounds, hip-hop ad-libbing, of course, harmonies, anything that comes to your mind. And we end up with many tracks of all this crazy stuff. I think probably if, like, uh, I don't know if they did use this method to do uh, Beverly Hills, but I imagine, like, some of those ad-libs would maybe be, like, the band making those camera flashing sounds that Which are, is, like, yeah, uh, those are cool. yeah, maybe even, like, the gimme gimmies, you know? 
I can see that, but then what else? She came in to do just that ad lib and was like, all right, later, guys. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe there's more to it that eventually got cut. Bizarre. Yep. But yeah, that's that's the state of Weezer nowadays. Uh, after the White Album, they did release, um, they've released a couple more records, uh, including uh, Pacific Daydream, which was 2017, I think. Still chugging the fuck along. Let's, let me play you a song from that because that album was decidedly like that was kind of their poppiest record yet. Here's Feels Like Summer from that one. noticeable pop sheen on that one i think sounded like they were gunning for a, a spot in the new windows commercial <laughs> in my opinion i think the whole like uh spreadsheet way of composing lyrics is pretty obvious in that one too a lot of the mm. lyrics don't really feel like they have anything to do with each other not really the most coherent song that approach has spit out in my opinion but that's an i think that's an okay record i think i like that one a little more than most weezer fans do i think it's got some okay mm-hmm. stuff on it but that kind of takes us to uh, what, what came, came next, next officially. officially. So despite all those albums we talked about and all those songs we just heard, they wouldn't chart on the Billboard Hot 100 for like another decade uh, from Beverly Hills. Not a damn one of them charted above the 40. Not a one. Interestingly enough, the band's most recent appearance on the charts can kind of perhaps be attributed to a 14-year-old Weezer fan from Cleveland, Ohio, named Mary Clinton, who, in December 2017, was watching the hit Netflix series Stranger Things when she heard the song Africa by Toto on the show's soundtrack. You're, you're familiar with Africa, right? I've heard Africa once or twice. Everybody's heard Africa. And uh, so her immediate instinct was that Weezer could do a good cover of this song. Pause. Pause. Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, you're really you're really into a band and you like hear a song you like and go, man, I wish I could hear this band that I like cover it. Dude, this is this is blowing my mind because she was one when Beverly Hill happened. One! Oh no! When did you, when was she? I, I need to know what her favorite Weezer song is. I need to know when she was indoctrinated in the cult of Weezer. I need to know, to know if her parents are Blue Album people. Why is this 14-year-old? Mary Clinton, please come be on One It Wonders of the you World. You have an open invitation. You call us anytime. Why? I need so, to know. She thought that Weezer could do a good cover of Africa, so she created a Twitter account named at Weezer Africa and began a small grassroots campaign 
campaign to convince the band to cover the song. She'd regularly tweet things at them like, it's about time you bless the rains down in Africa, tweeting that at like the official Weezer account and Rivers Cuomo's personal account, which is really weird and I wanted to talk to you about because Rivers Cuomo has a really active Twitter presence, but he only writes some of his tweets himself. The other, most of his tweets are things that fans say to him, like through Snapchat and on Instagram. And like, I think he even like has a Tinder account where he talks to people. But what he, but what he does is he has like a bot or something and he changes and it automatically changes every instance of like you or something to I. So it looks like he's tweeting out these really bizarre things. Let me just pull up his Twitter right now. The only thing I know about uh, Rivers Cuomo's Twitter is that one time he tweeted out the bathroom code for some Starbucks in West Hollywood, and I used that when I really needed to pee. So, shouts out. I appreciate that. Rivers is doing the work for the people over here for once. So, here are some recent tweets on the uh, Rivers Cuomo account. Generic men cologne is not the answer I hoped for. (laughs) Okay. I start my day off right with a hearty bowl of the entire Weezer discography, which is clearly (laughs) a Weezer fan. But isn't it great thinking that Rivers Cuomo wakes up every morning and listens to the Weezer discography straight through? Absolutely. I was listening to Nirvana, and a recommendation for it after was Weezer, and I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> no, he's tweeting this himself. He's definitely absolutely doing it himself. It's not a bot. That's that's fake news. This, is- this one, this one I, I would really love to know the story behind. There's a song on the Black Album about Fortnite and jewels. Jewels being, you know, those e-cigarettes. I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Are you serious? But uh, but was but was that him tweeting that, or was that something he picked up on like the the Weezer Reddit? Man, fuck you, Rivers Cuomo. This is the horse ebooks fucking loophole. You are you are a little conniving little internet hoe. Speaking about Fortnite, I think I messaged you this when it happened. But in order to promote their most recent album, the Black Album. They collaborated with, with Fortnite to do an entire Weezer themed like arena. Ah, you really getting to their core fan base, as you can see. Really fucking weird. But uh, where were we talking about uh, this Africa campaign? Right. So Mary would tweet at the band and Rivers to cover Africa. Listen, dude, if I had as much time on my hands as 14 year olds do, I swear to God, I would do so much. But continue. <laughs> And uh, eventually people started taking notice of these tweets and joined in asking Weezer to cover Africa. And Can we talk about, you know, 14-year-olds run the internet. I just wanted to mention, remember that fucking stupid egg? That's 14-year-old humor. That Instagram egg that went viral. It's like, everyone liked this egg. 14-year-olds run the internet, man. 14-year-olds make shit happen online. They are the kings and queens and heirs to the throne. Children are our future. They're the, they're the future and they're, they're the present. So after receiving enough tweets, the band finally released a cover of a different Toto song, Rosanna in order to troll Mary and the rest of the fans asking for the Africa cover. But at the end of May 2018, they finally released a cover of Africa itself. And to the surprise of the band and its fans alike, the song charted on the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at 51. Not quite high enough to qualify them as a two-hit wonder, but still 
Weezer covered Africa and it got to 51 on the Billboard Hot 100. Their first appearance on the Billboard Hot 100 in like 10 years. Which brings us to doubling down on the joke. Yes, this is where they really start to, you know, they head into the meme minds. And that's where we are today. The, the viral success of that cover led them to perform it on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Prestigious Jimmy Kimmel Live. And they released a music video for it starring Weird Al Yankovic. And they even released an entire album of covers titled The Teal Album, including a cover that, you know, we predicted on our AHA episode, <laughs> yep. Take On Me. They made a whole you video know, for that too with uh, Finn Wolfhard of the previously mentored Stranger Things just to tie that loop. And I wanted to mention that if I had as much time on my hands as 14-year-old and Rivers Cuomo did, <laughs> I'd be doing crazy shit, man. You wouldn't be releasing like a cover album of like songs that are popularly played at weddings? <laughs> no. No, I wouldn't. Shouts out, Rivers. You're living your best life. You're, you're living the dream. You're making people happy, you think. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, good for them, right? I mean, if people want to hear Weezer do Africa and Weezer down to do Africa, you know, go nuts. So, Trevor, can you tell me where are we now? That takes us to our, our final segment, where we are now. Um, despite the success of, like, Pork and Beans and Africa and stuff, Beverly Hills still remains their highest charting song on the Billboard Hot 100. Even though, like I said earlier, nobody really likes this one anymore. Like, a lot of Weezer fans will say it's, like, one of their... One of like the worst things they've done. Nobody likes make-believe. The critics didn't like make-believe. The critics don't have any fond memories of Beverly Hills. Uh, it's considered one of Weezer's most annoying singles, thanks in no small part to that talk box guitar solo. Yeah. Which I don't think we've mentioned yet. Uh, Rivers has been known to even draw that out to like a considerably longer length during live performances. <laughs> That's obnoxious. I wanted to tell, I don't have a clip of this, but in that Song Exploder interview, he talks about how he writes his vocal melodies and his guitar solos and interestingly enough he writes all of the melodies he sings on the piano because he thinks that like his vocal cords are too lazy to come up with really interesting melodies so he'll figure something out on the piano first and then sing along to it contrary to that he actually comes up with all of his guitar solos by singing them like he thinks that like if he tries to write a guitar solo he'll just start like wanking off and like come up with something too like you know, like technically proficient, but like not fun to listen to. So what he'll do is he'll like have a demo of the song and he'll like scat over it and come up with like, and like do all these weird things like singing over it. And then he'll pitch it up and then he'll play it on the guitar. Rivers, you're strange, man. I don't know if that's how he came up with the Beverly Hills guitar solo, but I will say that like Rivers Cuomo is one of my favorite lead guitarists. I really like his guitar work and I think it does have a pretty distinct style to it. I really think he just, I, he, he didn't make that with his mouth. He listened to Frampton Comes Alive and he was like, done deal. Here comes my top 40. We're, that, that's the secret. It's always been the talk box. Rivers himself, though, like unlike all those fans and critics, still considers Beverly Hills to be one of his finest musical achievements. He's quoted <laughs> as saying that it's incredibly fun. A great beat, guitar riffs, catchy vocal style. Besides that, I think the lyrics are incredible in a very understated way. I might as well enjoy my life and watch the stars play. I love it. With this one song, we were able to transcend our little niche and connect with all kinds of people, young and old, from all kinds of backgrounds. Ah, uh, Rivers, you creepy old dope. <laughs> I'm glad he got his. I'm glad he got his moment in the sun, though. You know, his moment on an island in the sun, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Beverly Hills. Yeah, that's that's Beverly Hills, and that's that's Weezer. You know. And these are the covers. 
these are the covers. We don't have a lot, but I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about these because I know one of them's, you've got something up your sleeve. One of them is a secret. Yeah. But uh, first, let's talk about this Kids Bop cover. Do we want to listen to that? Let's listen to it. I'm interested in seeing if it's the kids or if like they did the feel good thing where they got an adult to sing some stuff. So why don't I you play really it? hope this stupid adult does not show up. Let's listen. kids man they did not deserve to never be able to sing a verse yeah i was very disappointing i don't uh, get why like, you get an adult to sing it you know get get the fucking adult out of here i never want it's kids bop if it was adults bop i would just listen to the damn song yeah these kids need to be bopping harder than they currently are so this isn't exactly a cover but uh weird al yankovic you know that guy from the africa music video included right. um a, a clip of beverly hills in one of his polka medleys you're familiar with these right oh i've heard this one these or twice. have always been one of my favorite things that weird al does he takes a a couple a bunch of like contemporary popular songs and makes a medley out of them in some kind of polka style uh so let's listen to his treatment of beverly hills Right to it. Living in Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills. I love you, Weird Al. He's great. What is he going to do next? What do you think he's going to pull next? Guess right now. Three Six Mafia. Coldplay. I want to keep playing. We can we can sit here for a second. You want to do this? Yes, I do. What do you think's next? It's 2005. And Rihanna. Fuck! It's all old rock. Yeah. What do you think? Alright, Incubus. No! <laughs> we forgot to mention this on the Gorillas one. No, we did! Oh my god! What? Oh shit! See, that's where my pick would have came in. Shit. Black Eyed Peas are here. Fergie! No, Fergie's in the Black Eyed Peas. No, that was the Pussycat Dolls. Oh, yeah! Although, I think the song was written by CeeLo Green, right? Oh, man. Killers. How many more do we have? This song goes on for another uh, two minutes. We're more than halfway, right? Yeah. Fuck it, let's just go. I just, I want to keep doing this. <laughs> Matchbox 20. Hey. Hey. Oh, what the? I'll take you to the candy ah. shop. Like I'm, I'm like 0 for 7. Don't you stop. <laughs> Keep going until you hit the spot. Whoa. We'll take you to the candy shop. Yeah. Alright. For the love of God. Snoop Dogg? I don't know. When the pimp's in the crowd. 
I know the charts. I think that's the last one, isn't it? Yep, that seems that seems to be the end. Oh, we made it, y'all, and I got one. I got one. That was pretty impressive, though. I thought that was really impressive. You calling out Snoop Dogg at the exact right moment. Listen, sometimes miracles do happen on one hand of the world. Interesting note about Weezer being used in one of his polka songs. Weird Al previously approached them back in the 90s to include uh, Buddy Holly in a polka around 1995, and Rivers declined. Because he, he wanted a full parody. If you're not giving him the full parody, he doesn't fucking care, man. Good point. What would a, what would a, what would a full parody of Buddy Holly even be about? Let's let's leave that to Weird Al and his eccentric imagination while we talk about quite possibly the best cover of this song to ever exist. I don't. I'm about to plug this YouTube link into my browser, and I do not. Know I'm, it's no, pop don't up. do it. I'm gonna play it through you th for you through my headphones. Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, this is a song by the group called Apologetics. <laughs> All right. The song is called Heavenly Hill. Where I come from, there's a tall flat place, a spot on the hill where the ski slopes at. My master went for a little walk with his friends at Jester to retreat. Didn't go with some big group Just three guys, James, John, and me While we prayed, I saw the Son of God Talking with the prophets Heavenly hell That's where I want to be <laughs> So is this some kind of like Cool youth pastor Like, yes, turning Beverly Hill Like, hey guys I know another hill that you might be interested in. It's one where they crucified a little guy named Jesus Christ. And this is the hill you choose to die on. <sighs> so I think that's it for the covers, right? I think that that's it for the covers. Would you like to get on to our attributes? Let's talk about our attributes. What are our attributes, Trevor? Our attributes are, you always say this exactly the same every episode, so I think you should do it. <laughs> I do. I wanted to see how you would react. Every episode of One Hit Wonders of the World, Trevor and I make attributes for the song that we just described. We can rate the attributes on any scale that we so desire, as long as it's a different one for every episode. Um, you want to flip a coin? Who, who wants to go first? It's I, I don't want to go first. Do you want to go first? I could go first if you don't want to go first. Go first. Go first. All right. So I thought, you know, uh, judging on who we've spent most of this episode talking about, I thought what I would do, what would be fun, would be to um, award or uh, attribute each of my different things I picked for the song with a different river. So I, I looked up. <laughs> Great. I looked up the biggest rivers in the world, so we'll be going through those. <laughs> this um, is funny as fuck. So for that, that talk box guitar solo that we spent a little bit of time talking about, 
I wanted to give that one the uh, Yangtze River in China. <laughs> uh, seeing Weezer perform at the Playboy Mansion, I wanted to give that one to the Amazon River, which is like the second biggest river in the world. I think that's pretty okay. cool. You know, seeing okay. it's there's something uncanny about that image of Weezer performing at the Playboy Mansion. Like sure. we talked about it earlier, they're not really the typical rock stars or the kind of people you would see hanging out at that place. And finally, I gave uh, enjoying your life and watching the stars play the Nile River because I think like. <laughs> You know, you're in ancient Egypt, you're like kind of like maybe like a poor slave or something. And like what better what better place to go out and see the stars of that day, you know, like the pharaohs and Cleopatra and all that than the Nile River. You know, you go smooth chores done there and maybe you'll catch a glimpse of uh, the pharaoh driving by in one of his like luxurious boats. Whatever they had back then. <laughs> luxurious boats. You made it work. I, I made it work. Let me let me get your attributes, because I was I was privy to you kind of sitting at the 11th hour, sitting down to come up with these. As I always do. And I think you've got something interesting. So what you got? So, this scale's kind of different from any one I think I've done so far. This is a scale of adjectives that I got directly from the song, and I will be describing elements of the song using the adjectives from the song. Oh, that's fun. I'm not going to tell you the adjectives beforehand. I'm just going to say them. Sure. So... Snooze riffs, uh, these these lazy guitar riffs that I think are very boring. Uh, it isn't all that great. <laughs> it, 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 it's not all that great. Um, however, the something that you're born into, Bridge, that shit is beautiful and clean. That shit is beautiful and clean. I, I love that it. part. Yep. Um, I think the boom boom shock drums are a piece of crap. I think that that's pretty apt for how much they lot, annoy a me. Of the, a lot of Weezer fans would agree with you there. Yep. And finally, the obnoxious talk box breakdown. That's where I want to be. <laughs> I love it. And I I would love it if it went on for five minutes. I'm actually completely in defense of Weezer's long, obnoxious drawing it out during a live performance. Do your fucking thing, man. How long I was think, that? I think they actually like stop and start the song as he's playing, too. So you're never <laughs> quite sure when it's going to end. How how long is that one song, Do, do You Feel Like We Do by Peter Frampton? Like fucking 15 minutes? Get your oh, money, fucking yeah. Rivers. Do your thing. Get, get that fucking talk box and collect those coins. You will be one of them in Beverly Hills someday. He does live there now, I think. <laughs> I swear he always has. I swear he always has. No offense, Tammy, but drink my blood. What? What? Is that a Weezer? No, that's a Todd original. You know what? I don't even know why I came here tonight. Yeah, neither do we. Yeah, no one technically invited you. Oh, can it, Dork. Look, Martha, no offense, but your neighbors suck, and I'm glad we're divorced. But if you want to get back together with I... me, you know where to find me. Oh, oh don't say it. in Beverly Anyway, that's Beverly Hills. That's Weezer. It's Beverly Hills and the story of Weezer. Uh, Trevor, do you know what we get to do next? No, what song are we talking about next? Next time on One Hit Wonders of the World. We get to whip it with Devo. Oh boy, that's going to be fun. Oh yes, it will be. Mark Mothersbaugh. 
You can find us on Twitter at uh, One Hit Wondercast with the numeral one out front. And if you would ever like to email us anything, anything, really anything, One Hit Wonders of the World at gmail.com, all spelled out. Give me, give me some hot takes. Give me some stale takes. Uh, send some anthrax. Just, you know, send me something. If you want to go ahead and record that Weird Al-esque parody of Buddy Holly that we talked about, send that, send that to please us. Please do. Please do. Please, please do. Until whenever we may gather here once more to... To watch the stars play, as you will. I have been maxed in Stenstrom. And I'm just a no-class beat-down fool, Trevor Ickraff. And until next time... Stay wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) Great.